0: Are the Clippers a feel-good, one-big-happy-family kind of story this year? What can the rest of the league do with Steph Curry and the Warriors? What will Kevin Durant do once he becomes a free agent? The only question left is, say it with me, you win... Hey, sports fans, Coach Nick here, and welcome to the B Ball Breakdown Podcast. If you're watching this on YouTube, make sure to click on the link on the screen or in the description below because you're not going to want to miss the full audio interview with Ben Golliver. Sports Illustrated, NBA writer, and a man who happens to be in my studio, my first podcast with somebody right here. So, Ben, um, you know, you you happen to move to L.A., which is kind of an exciting thing, you know, to have you around here
1: to do this. Uh, What prompted the move down to L.A.? Well, first of all, I want to say this is just an awesome setup for people who can't see it. You know, (laughs) we've got pictures of Dr. J, Michael Jordan, Shaquille O'Neal, Charles Barkley. I mean, I'm feeling my game being raised just by the uh, you know the hall of fame caliber company that we're keeping right now
0: oh wow well you know that that certainly uh, i i feel that way every day when i see you know I, we also have some other we have artist gilmore you can't you can't ignore him uh, bob love is up there you got you know those are the real you know old bulls i
1: love it's nonstop inspiration but um yeah no i just you know personal reasons came down to uh to la from portland where i'd kind of been born and raised and i mean that's a big transition but it's nice to be down here. You know, it, there's lots of stories. I think with both teams, the Clippers. I mean, can they get over the top? You know, finally, can Chris Paul and DJ and Blake kind of repair all that tension and, and get over the hump? Uh, and then with the Lakers, it's you know, do they have an identity besides kind of hanging on to this Kobe Bryant thing? And, and can they move forward with the young guys? And so to me, though, both those stories are really exciting. You know, being in sort of a basketball epicenter where it's sort of a 12-month-a-year thing where everybody's just doing basketball constantly is awesome. Um, you know, we were talking earlier about like Adidas Nations, you know, I mean, even in August when everybody else is, you know, just totally checked out, probably, you know, reading their fantasy football guides, you know, here in L.A., somebody's, you know, playing basketball and playing it pretty well. So uh, it's great to be here. Awesome. Well, you know,
0: talking really briefly about the Clippers, you know, we, I know people have kind of uh, gone through uh, ad infinitum the whole thing with DeAndre Jordan leaving. But I'm wondering if there is that lingering notion of uh, animosity, because clearly there must have been something
1: wrong that prompted him to leave in the first place. For sure. I mean, clearly there was personality differences that he didn't totally feel wanted. I did an interview with Blake Griffin like right before uh, DeAndre announced that he was going to go to Dallas. And what struck me during that interview was how calm Blake was. Like, it seemed like he thought it was sort of a, maybe not a done deal, but like he, it almost like it was assumed. Mm-hmm. And I think that in some of the comments that DeAndre had or some of the reporting that came out afterwards, it almost seemed like he didn't feel like maybe he was appreciated or everybody took him for, maybe people took him for granted. Uh, and so I think that they tried to sort that out. And watching the Clippers the first four games, I mean, they beat four teams they should beat. And to me, that's a really good sign. It's like if some, any of that stuff is sort of like lingering, like if there's bad feelings, everybody's on the same page, like the key players being on the same page, it's gonna show when you're playing teams that aren't as good as you, right? That's when you're gonna get kind of exploited. Uh, and then they play the Warriors and they're you know competitive late in that game, they lose it. Uh, I definitely think the Warriors are a better team than them sort of overall. Uh, but, you know, they were competitive and they did mount a to come back in the second half. And so they were there. So I think some of that stuff's behind them. But to me, the bigger questions for them, it's just kind of like lineup wise, like is Lance Stevenson really going to be your starting small forward in the Western Conference playoffs, given who you're going to have to play against. And then the bench, you know, that's rough. You know, I, mm-hmm. I, even with the additions, how do those fits work? Everybody wants the ball. You know, those are kind of the bigger questions to me about these Clippers now than maybe the personality stuff that was clouding them a few months ago.
0: Uh, yeah, I agree. I, I feel like, um, you know, we even saw some post-ups that they were trying to get the ball down to DeAndre. And I'm not so sure that's his thing or if it's going to be a thing, especially against the Warriors of all people. Um, but, uh, you know, it looks to me like uh, you know, I don't know if you sweep those under the rug. And when, it, when push comes to shove and they're not 4-0 and or 3 and whatever their record is, and, and they're struggling a little bit, um, to me, I thought a lot of the, uh, the, the issues were with Chris Paul specifically being brutal uh, on DeAndre Jordan,
1: perhaps even with the free throws. Um, is that what you were hearing as well? I mean, you can kind of see that Chris is a lot more demanding than everybody else on that roster. And one thing I noticed with the Clippers really early on this season, uh, and even during the preseason, is how much talking DeAndre was doing. It was almost like, look, I got my money. <laughs> uh, you know, I'll, I'm going to be here and, and maybe he's feeling a little bit more empowered than he used to, not necessarily sniping back at Chris, but just sort of being a vocal leader, uh, you know, during those games, because that's not necessarily something that we saw. I mean, we'll see the outburst of expression from him, big dunk, you know, he's going to scream. Uh, we'll see that stuff, but we won't necessarily see sort of like the leadership style encore vocalizing. Uh, and I think for them, that's probably a good sign because you can't have a real functional dynamic environment where... Doc is, you know, constantly writing the officials, very vocal. Chris is probably the most vocal player in the entire NBA from start to finish of a game. And then everybody else is quiet. To me, that doesn't work. I mean, they need to have a a few more voices here. And also, they got some guys they need to keep in check. I mean, you got to make sure Lance is playing his role all season long because he can shoot you right out of games. You got to make sure that Josh Smith is totally bought into what he's supposed to be doing. I kind of like him as an undersized uh, center, you know, on a second unit. I think that can kind of work. I like him when he's passing the ball and surrounded by good players. I think he can, make play, you know, he can make plays every once in a while. There's a lot of times I don't like him when he's you know, jacking up shots and uh, you know, just kind of freelancing. So they, they need some on-court leadership, and I think it shouldn't all fall to Chris. I think in the past maybe that's kind of come back to bite them a little bit, uh, either in, impacting his play or impacting the, the success of their team. Uh, and so that's good. I mean, other people need to step up. And I'm not sure it's Blake. I mean, Blake doesn't strike me really as that guy from his personality, you know?
0: Yeah. No, and he's, you know, he sounds like a very nice guy, very funny guy. Uh, He certainly is serious and we see him get, you know, really uh, competitive and start pushing guys around when he feels like he's, uh, he's getting manhandled a bit. Uh, I do think that there's an issue with the the complaining. Um, And I think that it comes from Doc. Unfortunately, it starts from Doc. It goes to Chris Paul and everybody else. And every year you kind of hope that maybe they'll tamp it down, just sort of play the game, not let that affect them. Uh, but that's what you got to watch for when you're watching the Clippers. Are, are the bad calls going to affect them? And if they do in the regular season in like November, then you can only imagine how that gets magnified in a playoff game, um, and that could that could spell some trouble, trouble times for them.
1: Yeah, it's interesting comparing them and contrasting them with the Warriors. It's like the comparison is when things are going well for both those teams. There's a lot of similarities. Like the benches are going nuts; they're waving the towels. Everybody's cheering these dunks. Everybody's cheering the three pointers. But when things go poorly for these teams, there's totally different. I mean, you don't see the negative body language, the negative energy uh, directed at each other internally. Like how often do we see Steph go after Draymond and and just start, you know, (laughs) cussing him up a storm? I don't think I've ever seen that. Uh, And they mentioned uh, actually during that game on Wednesday afterwards, they said that, you know, in the huddle, things got a little bit tense in the third quarter with the Warriors as they were kind of like telling each other to step up a little bit. But when they're on, they're so calm, composed when they're back on the court. Uh, And they're executing so well that you don't ever have that carryover of the negativity, right? I think we see, and what you're really hinting at here, is there's a lot of carryover negativity with the Clippers. Mm -hmm. When things go bad, they can go from bad to worse real quickly, as we saw in the playoffs. Uh, And it just makes for an interesting contrast. Because it's like, when they're flying high, both teams are great. When things go south, I think one team handles it a lot better.
0: Well, you know, talking about the Warriors now, as a good segue, uh, you know, they haven't missed a beat. In fact, it kind of reminds me of... When the Bulls won their first championship in 91 and they came back that second year, they won, like I think, 67 games and just steamrolled through, uh, looking like they got the glow, um, You know, if you, anybody out there watched uh, The Last Dragon. Uh, and so it looks like that's happening now. I think a lot of people might pick against them simply because it's impossible to repeat. But uh, if there's any, been, ever been a case for the first five games of the season, these guys look like they're better than they were last year.
1: I think 100% they're better than they were last year. And the most impressive part about the start of their season is that they've actually had a lot of adversity. They don't have their coach. They have an interim coach who was completely unprepared to come, to step into this role. It's not like he's a lifelong... You know, thirty-year assistant type of guy. I mean, he's very young to coaching. Oh,
0: are you trying to throw up a Ron Adams uh, controversy here? <laughs> no, not at all. I'm just saying
1: that, like, I mean, they clearly trusted Luke Walton, and he's responded. I mean, he's undefeated. You know, so the, that record speaks for itself. But it's not like they had, you know, Gentry. He's gone. I mean, he would have been the guy, and he's gone. Uh, so that was a hole. I mean, Bogut's already been hurt twice. So now all of a sudden you're, you're asking Festus Azili to step up and you're changing your front court rotations a little bit. Uh, and then Clay's not playing that well. You know, he's not playing horribly, he's not playing poorly, uh, but they have had some level of adversity and Steph is pulling them all completely through it. So I think number one, he's better for sure, to go back to what you're saying, are they better or not? Steph's better. One thing I look at just from this time this year compared to this time last year, it's just how fewer turnovers they have. I don't have the numbers offhand, but they're, they're, they're really protecting the ball better because they're comfortable with their offensive system. Mm-hmm. They know where each other's gonna be. They've got the feel and the rhythm they built up over the course of the, you know, down the stretch last year and into the playoffs. And that has totally carried over. Uh, and that's led to a lot of blowout victories because when they're executing well, they smoke teams.
0: Well, what's really cool was they, what they worked on uh, in the training camp was, um, You know, the first training camp last year, they were probably working on just putting in the offense, right? Just barely trying to get the semblance of a a hybrid of the triangle and the motion and corner. Um, And this year, they were able to say, okay, we have that in there. Now we're going to work on what happens when the team takes away that first option, okay? And what happens when they deny the wing pass here? And they got into a lot of bad stuff. So now we're starting to see some secondary, you know, uh, actions out of their offense that they probably didn't even need as much last year because teams are scouting or they're used to it for a year. And that is what's so exciting because it's almost like they've now gotten bored with the regular offense, which easily could get them shots. And they're like, Well, let's how can we make this a little bit more interesting and clever? And we, we were talking earlier, we saw you know they're doing great stuff where Steph will screen for Clay, but then all of a sudden Clay turns around and says screen for Steph. And now the defense is just completely turned around. No one's ready to get back. Um, When when you watch that, like, I can't see who wouldn't want to cheer for this team to win the whole thing.
1: One of my favorite things about the Warriors at this stage right now is waiting for teams to finally decide, look, we have to load up on Steph. We know we're picking our poison, but he just made four straight three-pointers. So now we just have to send a hard double at him or we have to jump him on the high screen. We just have to do whatever we can to get the ball out of his hands. The reason why I like those moments is because one, his recognition is just off the charts. Like there's no delay whatsoever. It's sort of like Tom Brady or Peyton Manning at the at the line of scrimmage audibling. Like they, he knows your defensive plan almost better than you do. Once they go to that, I also think the recognition from guys like Draymond has gotten really, really good. Like when Draymond knows he, you know, he gets that pass from Steph, there's two guys who are still on Steph and now he's playing four on three. And you know, he's coming towards the defense. Uh, He's such a smart player. He's a, a good passer. Uh, sometimes he, he takes shots that maybe I wouldn't take if I was him, like a little bit overambitious, but he's got some weird little runners to his game. Uh, but he's also just a pretty, pretty interesting quarterback in those situations. So it's like the, the chess moves uh, when teams finally decide, okay, we need to just take Steph out, have become so interesting. And they're such a, such a well-oiled machine. I mean, I think we saw it in that Clippers game already. I mean, they're operating at a very high level. And if you double them, everybody else is already there, ready to make teams pay.
0: Well, what's funny was that we broke down the 53-point game he had. And, you know, listen, I don't want to take anything away from the 53-point game, but if the times he's going to have those games – or when you go against such bad defense where there were uh, possessions where no one knew who was guarding him. Like They're all of a sudden they're running up. He's crossing, crossing half court and no one had run up to even pick him up yet because they're all looking at each other. I guess maybe nobody wants to guard him. Um, and so it's it's. I got into trouble on Twitter a little bit because I had said something like the people inferred that I w- didn't think it was a big deal when I was really just saying no, if you look at the schedule and you want to pick out the games or you know he's going to get 50 look at the bottom 10 defenses and the because those are the guys who are going to do it, uh, and it's still remarkable to me. Because I think you're right. I think you're going to have to uh just double him in the backcourt. I would try to get it out of his hands earlier, or deny him the ball if it's an inbounds pass. Just just face guard him. Don't let him catch the ball, or at least you know make him take it some time off. Because when that offense gets going quickly, and they have time to make four or five passes, I, I
1: think that's where it's over as well. Totally. And. Right to your point there. I was more impressed by his 13 points down the stretch against the Clippers than the 53 against the Pelicans, right? Mm -hmm. Because what are the stakes? You know, I mean, this is their real first adversity this season. You're going against not a bad defense, I think, with the Clippers. I mean, they could probably be better. I think people will nitpick their defense a lot. Uh, But the whole game's on the line. It's close. They're down, uh, you know, until Harrison Barnes kind of made that little push there in midway through the fourth quarter. And his response just in that situation, was just so calm. The shots came so easily. He worked himself open for the the shot in the corner, uh, and just totally flummoxed the Clippers defense. And yeah, I mean, to me, those thirteen points totally outweigh the the fifty three or the the forty he put up earlier too.
0: Absolutely, and I go over that a lot when I talk about uh, teams who, um, I, when I don't like their offense, and this is maybe interesting your take on this as well, where. I kind of get worried that it's it's an aesthetic thing where I like to see backdoor cuts, dribble handoffs, and movement. Um, But I think the reason why I like this feed is because it works against the good defenses. And so there are offenses that we, I don't like that are always very highly rated. And people want to yell at me saying, you don't know anything because, look, they're the fifth rated offense in the league. I say, I know, but they're, they're feasting on clearly the bottom 20 defenses in the league. And that offense isn't going to work when you get to the playoffs. Now, we heard Barkley talk about that in his inelegant way last night. Um, but I think the point stands was that he's recognizing that, like, what OKC was doing, for instance, it's two on five, really. Um, and that works really well when you play against everybody but the top four defenses in the league who they, who they would be playing in
1: the conference finals. What do you think? Yeah, so the Thunder are always the team that, that comes up in this discussion because aesthetically, like, it always seems like it could be a lot prettier than it is. But Durant and Westbrook are not only so good, but they're so fun to watch that I every year when I have to make my, like, entertainment value rankings, the Thunder are always right at the top for me because those two guys are so much better, I think, as a duo than any other duo in the NBA. You know, If you're just saying two players only, those guys are by far and away the best and they're the most potent and they can do it one-on-one and they can score in all these difficult ways, right? So it really has become a situation where everybody is... It almost feels like the Thunder take them for granted, don't you think? It's like they, they haven't really tried to figure out how to maximize their ability because even under the duress of playing with guys like Deion Waiters and playing with guys like Ennis Kanter uh, in crunch time, those guys can still score lots of points and still go into a game like that Orlando game. And Russ hits a 40 footer off the backboard. And now you're going into two overtimes and, and you win the game and you pull it out and they combine for like 90 points. Uh, so I don't know. I mean, I thought that Billy Donovan was going to come in and change things. I thought he was going to play basically Westbrook uh, Durant, Ibaka, and then two shooters. I thought that was going to be their closing lineup. Then they were going to go small, kind of take it the Warriors direction, where you know maybe it's a little bit more interchangeable uh, with the lineups. And instead, he's got Canner in there late in games, which I do not understand whatsoever, especially for defensive purposes, but also just for spacing issues. Uh, and then you know Waiters, I would never play Waiters in crunch time ever, <laughs> under any circumstances. Like he would be like my ninth or tenth guy in their rotation. So I still haven't gotten the answers for why they're doing, but. Look, there's a lot of pressure on Billy Donovan. Mm-hmm. He's not going to be able to just keep losing with these guys. He's going to have to experiment here as the season goes forward because, I mean, Durant's going to be a free agent. This is a team that's supposed to win a title. You don't have all day.
0: Oh, I agree. And, you know, it's funny because we can talk a little bit about, um, you know, this, this the top three point guard uh, conundrum in my mind is, you know, everybody, you know, CP3 probably deserves to be there. Certainly Steph should be one because of uh, – we don't have another player in the league that creates that kind of havoc one step inside the half court, basically. Um, now, the third it tends to be a bigger argument, or maybe second, is Russ. And I, my problem with Russ is that um, I don't like watching him play. I think I respond negatively to the, the visceral uh, rage that he uses, which I'm sure the argument is that he needs that. That's what fuels him. And I don't think it's always the best fuel to use, but he seems that's that's what gets him going. But here's my issue is, you know, he's – and I I just wanted to check before I I said he's he's averaging about five three-point attempts a game. At least he's up to 34% where he was below 30 last year at like like six. Um, He doesn't finish well at the rim. When you look at his numbers at the rim, they're very average for a point guard at, you know, finishing. And, um, you know, he's got the mid-range game pull-ups. But I think the decisions to take those are sometimes, you know, uh, poorly chosen. So – does it feel to you that maybe he gets – people will count the
1: two-point baskets he makes more than two points? I think that because he is such a force with his activity level that against – especially against bad teams, he can scare and intimidate them off the court. You know, he can actually produce wins by just basically over being overwhelming. And I think that he internalizes that and then maybe thinks he's better than he actually is. And I think that the outsiders who like him, it kind of goes two ways. If you like him, then you can kind of give him credit for that against all matchups and say that you know, he's always doing that. And if you don't like him, you say, look, it only works against certain teams. One reason why, I mean, the things you're mentioning, shot selection, it's not just how many three-pointers he's taking, but some of them are just really bad. Yeah. And even if he was a really good shooter, I mean, he takes worse threes than Curry takes. You know, <laughs> and like Curry, Curry is a very ambitious 3 point shooter. or Even Damian Lillard, he takes a lot of, like, you know, deep, threes that you would question, but I even think Russ takes worse threes than either one of those guys, which is not good because, you know, his percentage like you're mentioning. Uh, But what I do like about how he fits with that group is that my biggest concern when I watch Kevin is that he gets, occasionally, uh, he's just too flat energy-wise, right? Like, and if the ball's not constantly in his hand um, or maybe he's a little bit too deferential, uh, it doesn't happen all the time, but it only happens sometime. And I think the best way to keep To keep Kevin from being like that is to just have this like constant motor of Russ where like you've always got something else to go to. It kind of keeps him totally engaged. Uh, And that was the most impressive thing about Kevin's uh, MVP season to me was he didn't have Russ for a lot of it. Mm -hmm. And he was able to kind of take his own energy and really become that that tone setting guy. But I mean, Russ is a flawed player. Like there's if I was ranking him, we did. Uh, I think Steph was our number one point guard. I think uh, Chris Paul was our second point guard on the SI Top 100, and I think Russ was the third. Um, and when you go after Russ, I mean, you're getting into the territory of guys like John Wall uh, and some other players who I think, you know, they're just not in that same kind of class quite yet. Um, because Russell's won a lot, too. I mean, we got to give him credit. I mean, he's, he's been on good teams. Um, but I, I still think, like, you could get a lot more out of him, you know. If you really got the shot selection me- message through to him, um, if you surrounded him with more shooters, I mean, they still seem like they're not maximizing their potential.
0: Yeah, I mean, you could get a lot more with less, like if he would just do less. Uh, but the other thing is he's not a natural point guard. I, and I, I've now switched to not even arguing that. I just think he should have his own position. Whatever he does is a different position than what Chris Paul does and even what uh, uh, Steph Curry does. So in my mind, that's why he shouldn't be in that you know, the, uh, rankings with those players. Uh, David Lillard might be a little bit closer to what he does. You know, there's a couple other guys that are like that, maybe Derek Rose. Um, and so I think that that might be part of the issue. But, you know, I, I'm always going to be a purist on the idea that a team always needs to have that guy that can get people in their spots, can get them shots. It doesn't have to be a point guard, though. Like we saw the Bulls do with Scottie Pippen as that point forward. Uh, you know, um, LeBron James is sort of that, that role as well. But I don't think the OKC has that. Role they don't have that player because Kevin Durant kind of does it, but only when Russ was out. That's when he won the MVP. But when they're together, you know Russ is so dominant of the ball that they don't you don't have that kind of guy that Boris Diaw guy there, right? Who can kind of you know? I, I always feel like you just need to have somebody on the court that's like you know what Durant hasn't gotten a shot for a few minutes. Let's get him a shot. And I, I feel like that never happens. Yeah, they
1: don't they don't have that guy. And I think because their complementary players are all basically complementary. They're, they're not playmaking guys, really, you know, and I think maybe that's one reason why they went after waiters is because they thought, hey, maybe this guy can be more of a playmaker for us. Uh, I just don't think he does it well enough to really right. consistently be that guy. But, yeah, you look at all their complementary guys. It's all their whole roster is designed around Russell being this initiator that you're looking for, uh, and he's not wired quite that way. I don't hold it against him as much as a lot of people do, but one quote, like, you John Wooden quote about, like, never mistake activity for achievement? I think that there's some of that with, with Russell because, like, mm-hmm. the activity is always there. Like, is, what's he achieving, you know? Yeah. and, and it, it, Well, is he also the argument, you know, he
0: goes to the basket so hard, and his footwork drives me crazy because it'll be all off, and it'll be all off balance. And it's kind of breathtaking to see him do it, but he misses the damn shot. So sometimes the argument people will come back to me and say, oh, well, they, those are the ones that are rebounded and put back yeah. in. Um, Have you seen numbers that, like, I haven't seen the numbers compared to other guys that drive a lot. Um, I I would like to know if we can quantify that and really find out how much that mitigates the misses. Because... You know, granted, I, I see Cantor uh, get some of those and put them back yeah. in, or Adams, and, and he'll do that. You know, the Kobe assist, right? Um, but I, I don't know if it ends up justifying the, the full throttle hurtling himself at the rim, either hoping for the
1: call uh, and then, if not, missing the shot. Yeah, I mean, he gets a lot of calls, so we should give him credit for that, too, because I think he forces a lot of contact. Uh, and so that that is a part of it. Um, I think just overall their offense efficiency-wise over the course of an 82-game season it has been consistently good enough, and, and their net ratings when he's on the court with Durant has been consistently strong enough. I mean, it's like plus seven every single year net rating when they're on the court together for the last five years, I think, mm-hmm. kind of regardless of who's been injured or who's going to be around them. You know, when they're playing Kendrick Perkins, dragging him to the finals, now they're playing these <laughs> other guys. Uh, I mean, very consistently, when those two guys are together... Uh, you know they win and it works and they put up a lot of points so to me I think when I'm looking at the problems for Oklahoma City like I would be trying to figure out how to best support these guys rather than trying to change them you know what I mean and I, and I think because it's so hard to just like how, how are you really gonna be able to get through to Russell and be like look we know this has worked out smashingly well for you you know you've made all these all-star teams you've scored all these points you won all-star game MVP all NBA I mean all these accolades but really to get to the next level, you have to totally change who you are as a person. I mean, that's just going to be a really tough sell. And frankly, he's going to be a free agent, so he's going to say, you know what, the Lakers would love me to be just me because I'm so much better than anybody on their team. They'll give, you know, they'll, right. they'll give me the whole show. And it, it's probably too late anyway in, yeah. in a way that, you know, he, that he
0: is who he is. Uh, you know, I can remember when Tony Parker came in the league. I think it's not a bad parallel, even though people might not recognize it immediately. But um, you know, Greg Popovich was brutal on Tony Parker for several seasons. Because Parker had a little bit of a game, just like Russ. He wanted to shoot a lot of the time. He would take bad shots. He'd turn the ball over. Um, But after enough time and steady, you know, patience and, and, you know, but getting into his ear, uh, Tony Parker mastered it. And uh, I I feel like, obviously, Scott Brooks was never going to be the guy that would do that. Uh, and I don't know if Donovan even can be in the position now because of the situation with, you know, Duran is going to be leaving if he does, um, where he's going to have the, the effect as well. And I, I actually questioned what how much effect he has because I went through all of their preseason, um, uh, excuse me, I went through half of their preseason half-court possessions, which is about 250. And I think about 30 of those possessions had interesting Donovan kind of sets. The rest of it was just the same old stuff I used to do. And I think what we're seeing now is, and the real key for me is when I watch the, the amount of possessions where you see Kevin Durant walking around the perimeter or if Durant has the ball of just walking out there by 40 feet away from the basket, just walking. Um, there's no Donovan offense I've ever seen from Florida where he has a, a, a player doing that. It makes me wonder if he actually has the, the, con- the control he needs to get them to improve.
1: Yeah. It's funny because some of those things might've slipped under the radar a couple of years ago, or they would have been tolerated more. But now when you have the Spurs and Warriors going back to back winning titles where, everybody's it's five-man engagement constantly you have to start to wonder like will it ever work i mean if this is your if this is the best you can do if you're not constantly engaging at least your two stars on every single possession if it's not your turn my turn your turn my turn i mean are those things ever going to be successful if the standard has now been raised to the levels where the spurs and warriors have taken these last couple years i mean the game has changed very quickly uh and maybe it's the result of sort of gradual shifts over like 10 years you know going back a while uh but it's clear a lot of you know the the very best teams are doing things one way you're doing things the other way and that's maybe not the best place to be
0: well what do you think about this notion of you can't win a title unless you're shooting uh, uh,
1: x amount of threes yeah Uh, i mean i think all of the best teams that were in the you know deep into the postseason last year three-pointers and spacing were totally key I don't think that that means that the low post game is dead. I don't even think that means that the mid-range game is dead, depending on how, how team what shots teams are going to give you. I mean, the more places that you can score points from on the court, the better to me. But if you don't have the ability to generate clean looks for your shooters and you don't have the ability to consistently space the court with your lineups and you don't have the ability to go small when you need to go small, I don't think you can win a title you know, and I and when I when I look at the teams, like the teams who I consider to be contenders, I think they can, most of them can do that, or they have the pieces to do it, and they just haven't quite done it yet, and that's why Oklahoma City bothers me so much, because I look at teams like, you know, Cleveland, I mean, they can definitely go small, I and mean, we saw Tristan Thompson playing center for them in the playoffs, uh, you know, now they got Mo Williams, they got one extra shooter if they want to, you know, late game lineups, you could put him out there with Kyrie, that's a pretty small backcourt, uh, you know, you look at, uh, the Rockets, of course, I mean, they're space-obsessed. You look at the Spurs, you know, even with Aldridge coming in, I mean, they have they can shift to lineups with DL, like you're talking about, where you've got a totally spaced court. You look at the Clippers. I mean, they could play Blake at center if they need to, uh, or they could play, you know, Blake and Josh. That's kind of smaller, and then they can put, you know, shooters around there. I mean, all the teams that we're considering to be sort of like contending-type teams can go that direction. And I think Oklahoma City, with guys like Morrow, Kyle Singler, and they've got some shooting pieces. It just doesn't seem like those guys are priorities to them. And now, if you're in a shootout with the Warriors and you're just letting them hit, you know, ten, you know, five to ten more threes than you in any given game, and you're asking Kevin to do it all from behind the line, or you're asking Russell to just chuck away. Mm-hmm. Which formula is better? You know, which which one do you prefer? I, it, you're right. I mean, at some point, the threes are going to have to stop.
0: They can't continue to increase. I I, I would imagine you can't get to fifty percent of your field goals are threes. Although that said, if you could devise an offense that got you like good open threes with floor balance, and could you, so you could get back if they'd miss or get an offensive rebound sometimes, you know, the, why not? Like they, maybe they all could be threes if you if you actually ran it that way. I mean, I remember when I was coaching uh, at the high school level, we used to ask our kids. Or I asked them once. I said, if we designed an offense that got you a layup every time, would you want to run it? And the people said no. And I was shocked uh, back then. Like, you know, the kids, the kids wanted to be able to go through the legs behind the back and yeah. do other kind of things and shoot mid-range, shoot threes. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I feel like can Memphis win a title? Like before the year started, I like to think there was a world where, yeah, you can play really good defense, you can pound people down low, and if they go small, you can kill them on the boards. So your two-point putbacks at a higher rate would match the three-point, you know, rate, you know based on, you know, the farther distance. Um, but, but I, yeah, I don't know now. I'm starting to think that maybe – I think what your point was actually kind of convinced me was that it's not that you can do it, you can play the big ball well. It's that you are going to have to be able to go small at some point to, to balance that to attack the other team that's going to go small.
1: Well, and that's why I like the Jeff Green trade for Memphis because I was like, look, there's going to be a situation where like they want to have Mark as the center. He's going to be the centerpiece, but you need to spread four guys around him, right? And I was like, well, Jeff Green – Polarizing player, not the best three-point shooter of all time, not the most consistent guy of all time, but like he could be part of that framework, right? Um, and it wound up just kind of not really working. Uh, be, you know, they were kind of doing it on the fly. And now I'm wondering, you know, like has that window kind of close for them? Because Zach's one of their best players. And like, if you have to shift small, Zach is gonna have struggled to be your center, right? And you want Mark on there too. So now you're kind of in the situation where you're, you're sacrificing one of your best players to put on an extra guy who's a so-so shooter Matt Barnes, you know, whoever it might be.
0: Wait, what is that ball? So you're talking about Jeff Green the power forward, Marcus Gasol at center. Yeah. Okay, Conley point guard. Uh, are we talking about Tony Allen? I mean, that's the Yeah, ball.
1: whoever your shooters are going to be. So I think, like, in an ideal spread okay. situation, it'd probably be somebody like, well, last year, you know, Barnes wasn't there. But, like, this year, you know, they're probably their best spread would be, like, Conley, uh, Courtney Lee, Matt Barnes, Jeff Green, and Gasol, right? I mean – now, all of a sudden, you're getting away from what makes you as a good team. But, like, if you get forced into those situations, as we saw in the playoffs, I mean, like, they ha- they, they couldn't really downshift to stick with Golden State. Like, once Golden State kind of figured out how to, to exploit Tony Allen, they were stuck. So, they needed a, a more potent, more outside-oriented uh, kind of, you know, second identity. And I don't think that they've got that right now. You know, I, I'm worried about Memphis. I thought that they were behind... I thought they were no higher than sixth in the Western Conference power rankings entering the season uh, with, you know, the Clippers, Rockets, Thunder, Spurs, Warriors above them. And I still kind of see it that way because, uh, you know, eventually teams are just going to go small on them. If you're if you're trading threes for twos, it's going to catch up with you, even in the postseason, unless your defense is just totally lights out. Uh, And I'm wondering, you know, are they getting the point age wise where their best defensive days are behind them?
0: You know, it's it's sad, but it's true, and we're we're seeing it. And I I don't know if it's a thing because they seem like they're healthy, right? They they should they shouldn't have an issue five games in the season being tired or lethargic. Um, Then again, we've seen a couple teams now have a little bit of a stumbling. We know the Rockets as well came in uh, that kind of like too cool for school, I suppose, thinking that oh we're just going to be able to walk right in and pick up where we left off. Um, They have, have they righted that
1: ship? Are they back on track now? You know, I'm not. I'm not totally sure. I mean, with Houston, they are going to fluctuate based on how Harden plays, right? So, like, Harden got off to a really rough start. Mm -hmm. And let's consider the personal factors, you know, like Lamar Odom, Chloe. Those are things that are going on in his life, right? He did not see those things coming, I'm sure. You know, he was probably coming into training camp thinking, hey, let's try to get back to the conference finals, try to get to the finals. I mean, that's probably what's on his mind. And all of a sudden, he's, you know, his girlfriend is is going out to some – you know, brothel in Nevada and staying in a hospital for days trying to figure out if her you know, her husband, I guess, still technically her husband, is going to live. I mean, that's a huge distraction. I don't know how well I'd play if I was in the middle of that. And, you know, I'm just observing this from the outside, but that's a legitimate thing that we need to kind of consider when we look at the Rockets, um, not to mention, you know, Dwight's health and, and, and other things like that. But I always thought that that Lawson should come off the bench for them. You know, I, I thought he should have been a six-guy, a you know, six-man, change the you know, pace, let him have the ball more, stagger him more with Harden, uh, you know. And
0: Oh, I, I disagree. I, I feel like when, and then this summer when people were taking me to task for suggesting that he was going to start, yeah. I mean, only because here's a guy who's like 10, 10 assists per game, um, just, you know, one of the top point guards uh, gives you what they were missing, which was, another guy to take the load off of Harden. I I think that by having Lawson there, Harden will be even better. Maybe he'll score like two less points a game. But he he should shoot a lot better. Um, And I've seen little glimpses, I don't know if you have or not, where, oh, look at that. Like now we're going to see him set up Harden where he can drive and kick it and Harden can then attack as opposed to Harden doing a 10 dribble iso and then trying to make it something happen. Uh, By the way, the thing that made him shoot a little bit better recently, as I understand it, was that there were some mechanics that he fixed with his landing on his feet. And once he got in the gym and worked on that, since since then it's been lights out again. Um, So even though the distractions are probably still there, uh, I would be I'm kind of sold that okay he'll be back on track. Um, Well, we know he's
1: good. I mean, we definitely know he's good. And here's the thing about Lawson. I love Lawson's game, and I loved his fit in Houston because all the things that he wants to do, get to the rim, break defenders off the dribble, shoot three-pointers, play fast, drive and kick, all that stuff is exactly what they want. And I'm totally on board with him kind of helping take some of Harden's load. I always worry, though, when you're a player like Harden who's been given so much and enabled sort of like Westbrook was enabled in Oklahoma City, how does that sharing really play out you know, on a play-by-play, game-by-game, night-by-night basis. Can you really get him to do that? Uh, I haven't looked at the usage stats totally yet, but I, I, I'm under the assumption he's still dominating things pretty heavily. And I also wonder, can you get the best out of Lawson if he's not totally staggered with Harden? Like, I would like as much staggering as possible. I mean, they're going to have to play together a lot, right? Uh, I would just like some situ- situations where it doesn't wind up with him off the ball and Harden is still pounding a little bit, and now he's just another guy watching Harden. Uh, that's kind of what I'm concerned about, and I think they're going to get there, though. I mean, they got so much talent on that team. I think they're going to be okay. Uh, I think they're going to be, you know, mid-50s for wins. Uh, but I, it, they didn't hit the ground running like I thought maybe they would. Uh, just because they got so much talent, you, you, you would have thought they would come right out of the gate with it, and it's been a little bit disappointing that they didn't.
0: Yeah, I know. But, you know, I think there's a lot of – our, our best basketball is going to be ahead of us as we, they, we progress because it's natural. You add Lawson, they're going to probably struggle in the beginning. You change uh, coaches with Donovan, they're going to struggle. I mean, this isn't surprising. If you would have told me this, yeah. you know, three weeks totally. ago, I'd been like, yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, the Bulls. Spurs. Um, you, know, you know, yeah. yeah. They're, they're all going to have this thing. So we're going to have to get to, like, I don't know, maybe the All-Star game before we really start seeing it. The only thing that's weird about me with OKC is that people are saying, oh, well, you know, he hasn't put all his offense in as if he will, he will as the season progresses. Um, but I'm, like, practices? Do yeah, teams right. still practice? I yeah, right. Know. It's like, I don't think they realize that. Like, you really don't practice. And even when you do practice, it's usually half the guys, right, yeah. uh, for an hour. Uh, I don't think it's really meaningful. No one's, like, really scrimmaging very much, as far as I can tell. And I've seen enough practices yeah. to know, it's like, you know, in the season. Uh, so I wonder how Donovan's going to get anything more in there besides just the, you know, shaping what he's already put in. Hopefully that'll be enough. Um, you know, but otherwise, the question then goes: Is where does you know is Ke- is Kevin Durant going to leave um, if they don't make it to the conference finals?
1: Well, I think I was kind of on board before the season with the notion that he might go short-term contract. You know, do the two years with the one-year opt-out, so that he could line up with Russ, so that he would have a year to sort of. Get acclimated under Donovan, and then just to kind of see where he is health wise after the three foot surgeries. I mean, so far to me, the biggest story of the entire opening week, besides uh, Curry just being completely lights out, God mode playing, has been Durant being back to basically 100% health. I mean, he played 50 plus minutes against the Magic, he's averaging almost 30 points a game. His shots. I mean, he he, looked, he had a bad three that, that against the Rockets late in that game. I'm sure you saw that. It was just like, breaked it terribly. That, that was on a game-deciding possession. You don't like to see that. But in general, like, of all the ways that this season could have gone for him, like, he's in, like, that top two percentile, right? So that's a really good sign. But at the same time, it just puts more pressure on Donovan to do the kinds of things you're saying, which is like, look, man, like, there are no excuses. You, you have the MVP from two years ago at 100% health scoring. You've got this all-star point guard who's you know playing very well. He's healthy, no issues. Ibaka's back on the court. He looks pretty good. You've got a max player in Canada that they added over the summer who they're going to expect things from. They've got a guy in Waiters they spent a first round draft pick on. Other trade acquisitions from last year. It's like you, there's no time or there's no ramp up if you're Billy Donovan. It's like you got to start producing right now. Uh, and oh, so, and
0: then he, look, he looks to his right and he's got Monty Williams next <laughs> to him. And he looks to his left and he's got Maurice Cheeks. Guys with <laughs> a lot more head coaching experience at the NBA level, right? Which, you know, makes me wonder, you know, if, if management – he's not going anywhere, right? He's not going to get fired. Yeah. But, you know, some management could say, well, you know, if we wanted to make a change, we certainly have this person waiting in the yeah. wings who's been very successful and has yeah. an experience.
1: Well, yeah, when I say pressure, I don't necessarily mean, like, you're going to be gone like next week pressure i mean like look man if you don't figure this out between now and june kd might leave like that is definitely on the table if you go first round and out and he's looking around and he's looking at the offense and he's saying look i could get these same exact shots on any team mm-hmm. uh and if he's thinking like look you know russ hasn't changed this game at all he's still doing some of the things that you're mentioning right now he's still the same guy he was from three four years ago we're not evolving That's what you're worried about if you're the thunder i mean you want to see the progress right like why did we fire scott brooks if we haven't changed you know what are the real impactful changes so donovan's going to have to answer those questions by the end of the season no no doubt about it like there's no getting around that whatsoever he needs to be able to tell kevin hey i did this for you i made this easier Uh, we had this success you know we went to the conference finals or the finals or all of a sudden, you know, he becomes uh, a negative because he's not the guy who Kevin Durant grew up with. You know, Scott Brooks was sort of like that, that guy for him. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a very awkward situation. Lots of pressure. Uh, and it's not the, not the NCAAs anymore. I mean, this is the NBA.
0: Well, let's talk about your role in the NBA and how you cover it because I think people will be really interested to see how that works. Uh, you're now based in Los Angeles, so you have the uh, cart blanche to fly direct <laughs> anywhere you want in the country. <laughs> Uh, are you are you getting sent around the country and doing and stuff and focusing on specific teams or maybe even an area of the country or do you
1: go all over? Yeah, so with the, with the team is being here, it's like the action comes to you a little bit, you know. And even during the off season, it's kind of like that. You know, guys are here working out, so that's it, it makes it good for stories and interviews and things like that. Uh, I do most of my traveling during the playoffs. So normally every year, I kind of book out from like. You know early May to through the end of the finals and then you know that kind of bleeds over into summer league so I just kind of anticipate not being home for like you know a solid three four months there um, and then during the season I kind of like to be as much of a homebody as possible kind of rest up you know do a lot of video analysis you know really watch a lot of games uh, and then take advantage of who's here in town but I mean, just this week, it's like been ridiculous. And we got to see Carl Towns, the number one pick. We got to see Moutier uh, go against D'Angelo Russell. I mean, that's a showdown that everybody's been talking about since, you know, who are you going to draft? And, you know, the future of the Lakers hangs on whether they got that pick right. Um, Those guys have been in town. Uh, I went up this week to see the Warriors Clippers game. And then, you know, 10 days from now, they're going to be down here playing that second game. Uh, So and then the Rockets are are here on Saturday. So it's just like night after night after night. It's basketball. and, And that's how I love it. Um, And and that's one reason why I'm great. I'm really happy to be down here just because it's like total immersion, you know? Yeah. And, um, and so, yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of what I do. I mean, my favorite time of the year by far is the playoffs. You know, I know there's a lot of people who have really shifted towards like, Hey, free agency is the most important stuff. People have shifted towards uh, the off court stuff a lot, you know, fashions become such a big deal and, you know, music and shoes and all that stuff. And, And I'm totally interested in those things too. But to me, the most interesting time of the year is the matchups that that take place in the playoffs the adjustments that the teams make and then who rises to the occasion you know and and, you know getting to see the Warriors run I mean that was just a magical run last year during the postseason uh you know being there for like Steph's game in Houston where he just completely silences the building sends three quarters of the crowd home (laughs) early because he just goes completely nuts uh you know that was amazing you know seeing uh know the Cavs and Bulls last year you know that playoff series was pretty interesting like you know Cavs are a little bit handicapped no Kevin Love how does LeBron adjust it's not the prettiest basketball uh but you know it's
0: oh but people forget about that because everyone's crowning Cleveland champions of the east already when I keep saying the Bulls are the one team that can match up well with them and they were one shot away from being up 3-1 in that series like that's been or one time
1: out one time out you know David Blatt screws that
0: up you mean if they call it technical yeah, and calling it, Yeah, yeah. Well, what do you think about that? By the way, well, I, well.
1: First of all, it was hilarious because that, he <laughs> he is such a uh, I don't know what the right word cocky might not be the right thing but he has the biggest chip on his shoulder of any coach I've ever met because he's been coaching for so long outside the NBA and he was constantly pushing back when people called him a rookie head coach last year mm-hmm. and then he makes the ultimate rookie move in the most important you know moment of his entire coaching career everything's led up to this and he almost cost his team their season. And uh, thankfully, you know, Lou is there to save him. And it looked like he was going to get away with it scot-free. And then who did not let him off the hook? None other than LeBron James. You know, LeBron's the one who brought it up in the post-game press conference of, you know, how he, he overruled Blatt on that final play. He, he drew up the, the play for himself, and he's the one who kind of deserves the credit and not Blatt. And you could just feel the tension between those two right there. And to me, it was like, that must have been the most humbling, just scary roller coaster of a night for David Blatt. Uh, and, you know, and now he's through that. And now maybe that makes him a better person and maybe it makes him a different coach or maybe not. I don't know. But that game was incredible.
0: And and by the way, what I've also been saying is that before you coronate these guys, the Eastern Conference champions, I think Blatt and LeBron need to figure out how that's going to work better. I know we saw uh, Mark Stein wrote that article when people were, you know, either on one side or the other of that about how LeBron was treating the coach. I certainly saw a lot of what he was talking about just from the TV. Um, And, you know, while everything needs to go right and while you don't need to be best friends with your teammates and a lot of times coaches will say, oh, I'm not here. I don't need to be best friends. They need to listen to me. I have to tell you, that could be a real stumbling block as we get deeper into the season, into the playoffs.
1: Where if they're not on the same
0: page, that's going to hold them back.
1: I totally agree with you. You know, if Steph Curry and Steve Kerr are sort of mm-hmm. like you know conjoined at the hip, they view basketball the same. They're totally aligned. That is an advantage. <laughs> if LeBron and David Blatt are sniping at each other, you know, there's no question about it. I mean, I'm sure you know this from high school coaching or you know all the other coaches. If you ever talk to like, what's the most important thing if you're a coach coming into a new environment is maybe arguably the relationship with your best player. I mean, th- that goes for almost any. Level of sports. Uh, And to me, that's one of their biggest weaknesses. Uh, And that's one reason I think that's kind of the jury's still out on Chicago, though, because I think for a long time, you know, the Noah and the Roses in Chicago, they really were on that same page with Thibodeau, right? Like they all kind of saw things the same way, the same mentality, same over competitiveness, uh, same drive. And something changed there where the players just, you know, got sick of it, tuned it out, whatever it might be. Now you put Hoiberg into this mix. I mean, is he going to be able to have the, those relationships? And who are his key guys? I mean, who, if you're him, who are you organizing this thing around? Is it still Rose? I mean, I would have a really hard time organizing around Rose. To me, I might try to make Jimmy Butler the guy. But if you do that and you crown him too early, now you've got Rose over here saying, wait a minute, who's the MVP? Mm -hmm. Now, all of a sudden, he's on a press conference before the season talking about how he can't wait until he gets paid in 2017. And it's just like, what? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, to me, that's one reason why I'm a little bit nervous about Chicago is just I want to see how that plays out. But again, like you said earlier, we got a long time. Yeah, we had six months to figure this out.
0: I, I think the one thing that coaches talk to me about when we're when they you know the X's and O's are one thing, even communication with players is another thing. and all those, everyone's aware of that. I think that the diff, the most difficult thing is lineups. Who they're supposed to play with who. And I feel like sometimes we never figure it out. We saw Dwayne Casey with, with, with Toronto, and I broke it down there, where um, their lineups were so screwy in, in that sweep uh, that the best lineup they had, that he he wouldn't play it often enough. Um, and so here we are with the Bulls, and I feel like they have a top 10 defensive team on that team somewhere. They have those those pieces. And if he could just figure that out, who to play and when with the other teammates, I think then they'll be able to to do it. But right now, you're right. There's a lot of agendas, it sounds like, in the team and who wants to do what. Now, I did see, we did see Derrick Rose last night, you know, go off, right, and be Derrick Rose in the fourth quarter inefficiently, but he did it, right? So,
1: um,. Uh, Maybe he's there. Maybe he is on his way back, but clearly... um, I'm skeptical. I'm skeptical of that because, remember, he hit a game winner to beat the Warriors in Golden State last year, and it was like a really bad, long, contested shot, but he hit it, and they win, and it's like, holy cow, and then, you know, pretty quickly after that, you know, he's going under the knife for a surgery, and I mean, to me, when you just have as as many things happen health-wise as he's had, just the concern that it could happen again it's just so big and then you know can you count on him every single night i mean we saw the back-to-back stats last year you know the second nights he's just his his numbers are totally different even in the playoffs i thought from game to game even with the extra rest you know he wasn't that every single night guy Uh, i think butler has more of an ability to do that amazingly and i never would have said this when they signed him i think pow is almost one of their most like consistent night-to-night guys in terms of what he really gives you because i mean given where he has it at this point of his career it's it's pretty amazing but, yeah, I mean, I'm not totally sure who their best five is. And I think, you know, if they want to go smaller and Powell's the center, you know, can they defend at a championship level through four rounds of the playoffs with Powell as your defensive center? I don't know.
0: I mean, I would point to the arrival of Powell being the, the, the beginning of a dissolution of the team because yeah. he did not have a defensive mindset. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, there's obviously the political pressure that he's got to play. Yeah. And if you bench him in the fourth quarter, he will pout most likely. And by the way, I love Powell. He's a great, he's the, one of the best low post footwork guys we have. Um, he's terrific down there on the offensive end, but he's so bad defensively. And I know he blocked LeBron's shot and saved the game and he made that play. However, they probably would have been up by 10 points at that point had he been able to play somewhat normal defense before that. And I, I get on Vine and I'll show in case people don't want to see, get on my Vine and you'll see. Play after play, he gets beat over the top. He doesn't run back hard. He doesn't know where the ball is. He, the guy beats into the offensive rebound, and put back, um, and so as a result, you're taking the defensive player of the year in Noah and having him have to guard fours, and he's out. He's not where he's he's best at. And I think that became an issue with totally. Thibodeau. That combo did not work. Yeah, and as a result, um, you know when it's not working as well as it could, and you know then the players tend to think, well, it's the system or it's the coach when I think it was more personnel. And so that's, I think, where Hoiberg is, where, you know, and it's going to have to be, it might be unpopular. I, I wouldn't be surprised if Powell doesn't play in those crunch time minutes and they put, like, Gibson out there uh, with Noah. Uh, and the, but the problem is, is if he sulks and he pouts, I mean, listen, is Powell going to be worth any more now? Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, I, my, my point would be he won't ever be worth more now in the market. Yeah. You know, every game that goes by, every year that goes by, he'd be worth less and less. So, this might be the time where they should look at that and be like, gosh, we could get something for him uh, with a real, real high value.
1: Yeah, the, the tricky part there is it's the night to night consistency thing. Is like, what happens if Noah's injury issues re- reoccur, right? And so, if you've traded Powell and, you, and you've thrown in with Noah, and then Noah goes down or his ankles or he's limited and, and he looked really poor, you know, during the playoffs last year. I thought, you know, if, if he had been healthy, like let alone before Powell got injured in that series. But like if Noah had just been himself or that, you know, MVP caliber guy from a couple of years ago during that series against the the Cavaliers, I think that they would have won. But he was almost unplayable. Mm-hmm. So yeah, then now all of a sudden you're facing the same kind of questions of like, you know, is this guy really reliable? The same question as as you have with Rose. So. I mean, it's some really tricky decisions, and they're going to have an insane offseason because now they've got to decide which of these guys they want to pay. You know, mm-hmm. so looking forward to next summer. I mean, Noah and, and Gasol are, are both in that situation. So, you know, I don't envy what they're trying to do. I think ultimately, though, they need to be thinking about like really big picture: what does the next era of the Bulls look like? And I think because they've locked up Jimmy, because he's uh, shown that he could be that twenty-plus a game scorer because he's got a little playmaking in him. And he's got the right personality just in terms of you know constantly wanting to improve embracing the spotlight those kinds of things it's sort of like what's the best team you can build around him Um, and what are the kinds of players you want and is the center that can't play defense the guy you want with him probably not uh is it noah who you know really struggles on offense at this point and uh needs to kind of either get healthy or find a way to stay healthy you know maybe not uh, so maybe they're going to be looking for a clean break here going forward. I don't know. But.
0: Well, a lot of questions there in Chicago, but certainly a lot of questions here have been answered uh, by, by Ben Golliver of the of sports illustrated. And, uh, you know, I can't thank you enough for coming down here to the studio and, uh, and sharing
1: some of your thoughts. Oh, it's been fun. It's always good to talk hoops with you. It's good to see you. Uh, and I mean, you've, turned into this monstrous uh, internet <laughs> presence and it's good to see.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, you know, I don't know if you remember, but, you know, you go back to the very beginning, I believe I had you on way back at, oh, yeah. from Blazer's Edge. What what season would that have been? You know, I'm sure it's still online
1: somewhere. <sighs> Maybe 2010?
0: Uh, I mean, yeah, that's when I started. And I, I feel like, you know, if we're going to quickly look uh, here, let's just take a quick down, a uh, quick look down. Uh, so what he's talking about is this
1: was what, like a Google Hangout interview we're talking uh
0: uh, yeah, no you know what? I don't see it here. Very strange. I do see uh, NBA chat when I looked up your name. Let's see what this is. Um, yeah, here it is. This was 2013, March. It oh. seems po- impossible that wow. it was, that, that, that's kind of not that long ago.
1: Yeah, well, I would have guessed 2011 maybe or 2010. but Yeah, yeah
0: well, no, here it is. You guys can look it up. Uh, unless there was another one, but, I, you, know, I haven't, you know, they're all up here. But, uh, yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's been really fun to watch you also, you know, take off from going from Blazers Edge, which is this great uh, blog on the, on the Blazers. And uh, now you're working with, you know, Lee Jenkins. And, um, but, anyway, uh, it was great having you here. Uh, you have to come back. And, hey, maybe you'll even uh, join me on a breakdown. We'll look
1: at some film and talk about it.
0: I'd love to. Well, that's awesome. And uh, tell everybody where they can find you on Twitter.
1: Oh, at Ben Goliver, B-E-N-G-O-L-L-I-V-E-R. Nice and easy. Yeah, you you don't make it hard.
0: Well, thanks for coming on the show, and don't forget, sports fans, at B-Ball Breakdown, we've got a channel where a conversation, you in?
1: You in, Ben? I'm in. stores.